0: Well, good morning again. Uh, happy New Year. Uh, it's, it's good to be here. Like, really, I've been traveling for a little bit, and it's good to be back. It's good to be here with y'all. Um, so, normally, I like to kind of begin uh, and introduce a passage with either like a short story or an illustration, but we actually have a, we have a rather long text to get through this morning, so I'm, I'm just going to jump straight into it. But as I do, I just want to let y'all know from the beginning this passage, what we're about to read, It is about your heart. It is about what moves your heart. The Bible talks about the heart often. It has a rich doctrine of the heart. The heart is the you that maybe only you actually know. And so as I read this passage this morning, listen for these words that are connected to your heart. Words like amazed, greatness, belief, and believed, and power. So this is God's Word. Um, From Acts chapter 8, we're going to begin in verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had been baptized only in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. This is God's word, and he gave it to you because he loves you, and so you can know him. Would you pray with me? Father, we need your help this morning. Uh, As we look at this passage, as we study your word, I pray that your spirit would be with us, would be with me as I preach, would be with us as we listen, that we would be convicted and move towards the beauty and the grace of your son, Jesus. Help us now as we continue on. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, Just as a little bit of context, because we kind of jump in a little ways into the book of Acts. Um, The book of Acts is actually a companion book to the Gospel of Luke. Um, Both books are written by Luke. And so the Gospel of Luke is volume 1. It's about Jesus' earthly ministry. His life on earth, the miracles he performed, his death on the cross, and then his bodily resurrection. And then we get to the book of Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles. And it's volume 2. And what we see right at the beginning is that Jesus ascends into heaven, and then he sends out his apostles to continue on his earthly mission while he rules and reigns in heaven. And so... In the book of Acts, Jesus ascends. Then the next thing we see is this thing called Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes down. There's tongues of fire. There's testimonies and testifying. People are being saved by the thousands. And it is the beginning of the church. It is a sign of the new age of Christ being ushered in to this world. Then shortly after that, as the church is growing and expanding, we see that seven men are actually commissioned as deacons of the church. And one of those men is Philip, who we read about in our passage. You see, Philip has actually gone out to the region of Samaria. And if you've been in church or you know about Samaria, Samaritans were not liked by the Jews. You see, Samaritans had actually combined Jewish doctrine and Greco-Roman Gnosticism and married foreigners. They were outside of God's people. They were not people of the promise of the covenant. And so this is actually important. We see that when the Holy Spirit comes, all of a sudden the gospel is moving out. The gospel is moving into a new place, a people who had been in darkness are now receiving life. Philip has come and he is preaching, he's teaching, he's healing the sick, he's casting out spirits, and the people in Samaria, Samaria believe. They're being converted. There's amazing work going on. But then, we meet Simon. You see, Simon is, uh, he's called a magician. He's also called great. And I think Simon's story is actually meant for us to stop and reflect. Because you see, remember, our passage is all about your heart. What moves your heart? And through Simon, we actually see what a captivated heart looks like. We're shown what a heart looks like when it is captivated by something. So this is what we're going to focus on this morning. Here are a few questions that come out of our passage. So first, what does it mean to believe? What is belief in the gospel? Second, who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit plays a vital role in the growth of the church and in the life of the believers. And then thirdly, how do you know you're saved? What is our assurance? How can we be sure? So that's what we're going to look at. What does it mean to believe? Who is the Holy Spirit? And how do you know you're saved? So first, what does it mean to believe? So the book of Acts has been moving and going. And when we get to this part in chapter 8, it actually slows down. It pauses and it focuses on this man named Simon this magician, this sorcerer. And you see, this is the only place in the entire Bible where we see anything about Simon. And that's kind of interesting. And so I think what Luke is getting at, and this is actually confirmed by second century writers, um, Justin Martyr, that Simon was a magician, but he's not a magician that does, you know, like we would think of like card tricks or illusions. No, he's actually someone who practices dark arts. Like his magic is more demonic than it is impressive. Impressive. And so what he's done is he has everyone's attention. Everyone is captured by Simon's magic. They believe in him. You see, back in verse 10, it actually says that Simon was, he has the power of God that's called great. What that is meant to tell us is that Simon is actually worshipped as a deity. He's treated like a god by the people in Samaria. But then something changes. Something changes in Samaria. The gospel comes to Samaria, and all of a sudden, people who believed in magic, who believed in Simon, their hearts begin to move. They begin to be changed. They believe in the gospel. So much so that even Simon himself actually believes. It says that Simon is numbered among those who is baptized, and he follows Philip. He joins the church. And so we come to this question, what is belief? What does it mean to believe? Um, I think we oftentimes end up treating belief the way Star Wars treats belief. Uh, Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, the greatest Star Wars movie ever made. There's a scene in that movie where Luke is with Jedi Master Yoda, and they're training in the Force, and it gets to the point where Yoda says, all right, it's time for you to use your training. You want to leave this place? Use the Force and pull your X-Wing out of the swamp. And so Luke kind of fusses, and he goes over there, and he holds his hand out, and he kind of... Quivers a little bit and X-Wing shakes, but it falls back into the swamp. Well, then little Yoda, little Jedi Master Yoda, kind of walks up with his cane, lifts out his three little fingers, closes his eyes, and all of a sudden the X-Wing rises out of the water and it floats gently above their head and it sets down behind him. And like Luke is astonished and he runs up to it and he sees it and then he comes over to Yoda and he goes, I don't believe it. And then Yoda says, and that is why you fail." See, when we think about belief, oftentimes we think belief is what we bring to the table. We think belief happens when I'm convinced of something, then I'll believe. See, that's not the way the Bible talks about your heart. That's not actually how your heart works. You see, you are always believing in something. You always believe in something. You are putting your belief into something. You know, Jesus says that if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. I've heard a pastor who likes to say, how's your mountain moving record? You know, how many mountains have you moved? Now, the way we're supposed to think about faith is like the father in Mark chapter 9, whose son has um, had an unclean spirit in his life from birth, and he has seizures, and he comes up to Jesus, and he says, heal my son, make him whole, clean him. And Jesus says, well, do you believe? And he responds, I believe, but help my unbelief. Can you see that? That what we have to see is when we're honest and we reflect on belief, we see that we are putting our belief into something. It's something outside of ourselves. You see, the Samaritans in our passage, they started off believing in magic. But then when the gospel came, when something is presented to them, when something works in their heart, when they begin to move, all of a sudden they believe in something else. They believe in Jesus. Belief is seeing that there's something better than magic. There's a Savior. Like, Do you believe? Do you have belief? Can you see that believing is seeing that you need something outside of you to be okay? So what does it mean to believe? It means that you need more than you. That you have to put your hope in something outside of yourself. That you can put your hope in magic or you can put your hope in Jesus. But the good news is we're not left to do that alone. No, what we see is that God actually sends us a helper. He doesn't say believe and then leaves us to do it on our own. Instead, he sends his Holy Spirit to be with us, to indwell with us, to unite with us. And so we ask our next question, what is or who is the Holy Spirit? Um, So I took a class in undergraduate on New Testament studies and we got to a section where we were covering the doctrine of you know, the Holy Spirit. And our professor was stressing to us. He kept saying, the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is personal. He is a he. Uh, and we got to like a quiz or it was like a midterm or something. I can't remember. But we got to this test and we all had the question on the Holy Spirit. And basically all of us ended up answering it like this. The Holy Spirit is not an it. It's a he. We were so, we were so close. Um, But no, the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. It is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. He is fully God, and the Holy Spirit is necessary. The Holy Spirit is necessary. If you look at our passage, it says that Peter and John come from Jerusalem to Samaria in order that the Holy Spirit might come to these new believers, because he hasn't come yet. It's a promise of belief, and he's not there yet. And so John and Peter come, and they lay their hands, and the Holy Spirit fills these people. And look, there's a lot going on in this passage. Honestly, there's a lot more going on here than I realized when I chose this text. Like we see issues here of pastoral authority. Like why couldn't Philip pray and the Holy Spirit come? Why did the apostles have to travel? Order of salvation, at what means and at what process do you become saved? Um, how does the Holy Spirit work? What is his role in conversion? Um, I'm not going to get into all of that because we don't have enough time. But this is what I want you to see. You have to have the Holy Spirit to believe. You need the Holy Spirit to believe the gospel. Regardless of how you interpret this passage, no one disagrees with this point, that you cannot believe the gospel without the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. What that means is Christianity is not simply intellectual. Simply Christianity is not something you simply grasp in the mind. No, Christianity is supernatural. There is no way to get around the fact that Christianity is the supernatural work of your heart being moved and transformed by Jesus through the Holy Spirit. I will say this. What we're not seeing in our passage is some kind of second blessing. You know, the holiness movement in the United States, it's very popular. It was popular. It still is. But that's not what we're seeing here. This is not some means by which the Holy Spirit comes and your sanctification begins and you you receive the Spirit and exercise gifts of the Spirit. That's not what's at work here. Actually, what's going on is the continuation of Acts chapter 2, the continuation of Pentecost, where the gospel has come to a new area, an area that was dark, suddenly has light. That true belief has come into this land that people are being converted and saved and changed. And so what's being displayed by the apostles when they come is that the Holy Spirit is uniting himself to Samaritans. Not Jews, Samaritans. He's uniting himself to a new people. It's a promise that true belief has come to this land, that the new age of Christ is spreading, that there is a geographical expansion of the church, and the Holy Spirit is the promise of that. And so you cannot have true belief without the Holy Spirit. Sadly, Simon ends up being our example. When we look at Simon, he sees the apostles laying on hands and the Holy Spirit coming. In verses 14 to 18, he sees what, what Peter and John have and he wants it. And what ends up happening is the belief that, we, that, that Philip thought Simon had ends up being proved untrue. That Simon didn't believe in the gospel. He didn't believe in Jesus. No, what Simon actually believed in is Greatness. He wanted something. He wanted position. He wanted power. He wanted what Paul and John had. He wanted to be someone great. And he thought he could control the Holy Spirit to get it. You and I cannot control the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not something that we can control. It can't be bought with money. This is important. This is actually something that's meant to humble us. We're meant to be humbled by the fact that the Holy Spirit is not someone we can control. What that means is when you look at someone's life, you cannot judge them. You are on equal footing with every single person that's ever existed because the Holy Spirit is working in someone's life. They're either It's either working to convict them or he's working to save them. And so when you look out at a person's life, you don't know where they're at. What looks like failure, what looks like disgrace, what can be and oftentimes is sin, may be the Holy Spirit using that person's life to bring them to saving faith, to bring them to belief. You can't judge other people because you can't control the Holy Spirit. You can't control the Holy Spirit for you, and you can't control the Holy Spirit for others. What that also means is that outward appearances, they're not the best indicator of what someone's faith is like. You don't know whether someone has true belief just because they do the right things. I think Simon's story is meant to cause us to be a little terrified because what did we learn about Simon? Simon. He hears the gospel. He is said to be believed. He at least believed enough that Philip was willing to baptize him. And he joined the church. He did all the right things. And yet, his faith was not genuine because he did not have the Holy Spirit. At the same time, our need for the Holy Spirit, the fact that you can't control the Holy Spirit, is meant to be an encouragement. It's meant to encourage us because the Holy Spirit is what helps you to believe. How many times have you heard the gospel? How many times have you been convicted of sin and think, I'm not strong enough to believe. I don't actually want to turn to Jesus. Well, God has promised that in belief, the Holy Spirit actually unites with you and reminds you of who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit reminds you and points you to Jesus and tells you that your hope is secure, that your belief is true, not because of you, but because it is in the Son of God. Of God. The Holy Spirit helps us to believe the gospel and to see Jesus as better, to reject sin and reject lies. The Holy Spirit is the eternal and forever sign that God is the Emmanuel, that He is with us. You need the Holy Spirit. He is who helps you to believe. But there's a little bit more going on with Simon's story. Uh, our last question we want to look at, it, it's the question. It's a big question. How do you know that you're saved? How do you know that you have faith? Um, I grew up in a denomination and tradition that oftentimes made appeals to salvation to believe. And when I was younger, I'm just going to be honest, I did not have great surety of my faith. In fact, every time there was an invitation to believe, I kind of just said the prayer again in order like, well, if it didn't take last time, maybe it'll take this time. And so I struggled with this question. I hope you struggle with the question. But assurance is something that is promised to us, and Peter actually tells us how. You see, back in verse 20, Peter actually rebukes Simon harshly. He rebukes Simon so harshly, actually, that one translator actually tries to capture the essence of the Greek, and he says, to hell with you and your money. See, Simon's missed it. Peter tells him that his heart is not right before God. He says that even though he's been baptized, even though he's followed Philip, even though he's been a part of the church, he hasn't actually truly believed. Uh, One commentator actually points out that um, ever since that day, an attempt to turn the spiritual into the commercial, to traffic in the things of God, and especially to purchase ecclesiological offices, has been named Uh, Simon. You know you messed up when you get a uh, a definition off of your name. Um, But I heard a pastor talk about another pastor who had been ministering at a church for a long time. Um, And he had a member who had been with him for almost as long. And one day after a service, he asked him, he said, how do you know that you're really a Christian? So the member looked at him and he said, well, I've been here a long time. I joined the church a long time ago. I'm a member of this church. Of course I believe. The pastor looked back at him and he said, look at all the pews out there. These, these pews came to this church a long time ago, and they've literally been joined to this church with nails. Are they Christians? Peter gives us an answer. Peter answers that question. Simon's story is meant to make us ask ourselves do I really believe? Do I have the Holy Spirit? Am I a Christian? And that question is not meant to cause insecurity. Instead, it's supposed to point us to and remind us that we actually have perfect security. Because what Peter tells Simon right after he's told him that your heart is not right, Peter says repent. I know, it sounds, it sounds old school. It sounds a bit bible But it's repentance. He says repent, pray, and be forgiven. How do you know that you're saved? You can repent. That is something that is only enabled in the life of the believer through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that moves your heart towards the gospel, towards the ability to repent, to change. You see, repentance for the world, repentance for the world is miserable. It's because it hurts. Worldly repentance says that I've done something wrong, I have to take on shame and guilt, and that it actually challenges my entire identity. The godly repentance. Repentance moved by the Holy Spirit, connected to our belief in the gospel. Through time, and because of the Holy Spirit, actually becomes sweet. Because we are secure. Because our standing, our belief, is not based on how well we believe, or how true our belief is. It's actually based on what we believe in. And the Holy Spirit reminds us that we believe in Jesus, the Son of God. Repentance is seeing that I have nothing to offer outside of Christ. I have nothing to offer outside of Christ but sin. And I want to change that. So repentance means my anger has to be repented of. Repentance means that my selfishness, that is something that needs to be repented of. My self-righteousness is actually holding me back. But repentance leads to life. My desire to be great, or the desire for those who think like me to be great, or want the same things as me to be great, we can let go of that. Because the kingdom of God is greater than the kingdom of me. And so, if you can look at your heart, if you can examine your heart and see that it is moved by things other than Jesus, and you need help to change that, that's your assurance. Your assurance says that repentance is both the way that you change and the assurance that you have been changed. That's what we get from repentance. Your repentance doesn't have to be strong. It doesn't have to be completely sure. It doesn't have to be free of all sinning. If you can repent and come to Jesus today, then you know you're saved, both as the first time and for the one millionth time. Belief in the gospel Belief in repentance, it's not some kind of -of get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not hellfire assurance. It's actually saying, I put my hope in Jesus. I put my hope in the one that says, it's okay to not be okay because Jesus is my righteousness and his kingdom is eternal. It's everlasting. Repentance is the path to life in the kingdom. It's actually our assurance. You can only repent because you've received the Holy Spirit and your heart begins to move. Um, We don't know what happens with Simon. This story is actually meant to be a cliffhanger. I'll say this, though. His case isn't great. Um, Peter tells Simon to repent, but what Simon essentially says is, pray that I don't get in trouble. Pray that what you said won't happen to me. So we don't know if Simon actually repents later on or not. But what we do see in our passage is that the Spirit of God has come into the region of Samaria. And as they go, they are testifying and preaching and people are being converted and God's kingdom is growing. I'll just close with this uh, this morning. Uh, One of my favorite hymns is The Sands of Time Are Sinking. And the last stanza of that hymn actually shows us what the reward of repentance is, what the surety of our faith can be through our repentance. It goes like this. I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. He brings a poor, vile sinner into his house of wine. I stand upon his merit, and I know no other stand, not even where glory dwelleth, but in Emmanuel's land. Friends, do you know that you are beloved, and that the beloved is yours, and that as a sinner you have been brought into a house of joy and made a child of the king? And that through the Holy Spirit you can believe and you can repent and your heart will actually move away from sin and towards Jesus. Towards our beloved. That's an invitation. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move our hearts in a way like never before. That our view of life would move away from sin towards your beauty, that Jesus' atoning work in our life would feel more real and we would be more empowered to repent and turn towards you today, tomorrow, and forever. Help us to be quick to forgive others, but even quicker to repent of our sin and enjoy the surety of our faith that the Holy Spirit is with us and that Jesus is real. He's enough. I pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.